wildfire continues to rage out of control. The ecosystem in California is fire. It's not if it's going to burn, it's when it's going to burn. An explosive wildfire bringing devastation to Northern California. All the work that we're doing to reduce emissions went away for the last 18 years because of these fires. We've spent years of allowing the forest just to grow and grow and grow and suppressing all the fires, so our fuel loading is tremendously higher than it was in the past. John Muir wrote when he was going through California, he says he loved the California forest because you could ride a horse through there. They were clear, there wasn't much debris. We can do that by logging, we can do that by grazing, we can do that by prescribed burning, and it has to be a combination of all those to protect our forest. My guest today is Kevin Olson, retired staff chief with CAL FIRE. All the species of plants and animals all depend on fire for survival. And so it's meant to burn and that's how our ecosystems evolved is burning. Is California's approach to wildfires our best option? Are we spending more money and effort in controlling wildfires versus preventing them? Stay tuned for an insider's perspective. Before we get into today's interview, we want to ask you to sign up to our California Insider email list. You will receive exclusive updates on our upcoming documentary and get the latest inside stories on everything that's happening in California. Go to InsiderCA.com and sign up. Now let's get into today's interview. Well, thank you for inviting me here today. We want to talk to you about fires in California. The fires are getting bigger and bigger. The fire season in certain areas of California, in Southern California, is all year now. Um, in 2020, we had the largest amount of fires. Actually, all the work that we were doing to reduce emissions went away for the last 18 years because of this, these fires. Um, can you tell us more about why we're having these fires? The bottom line reasons is part of the environment, the ecosystem in California is fire. Fire has to be part of the environment in California for the redwood trees to regrow and for um, all the species of plants and animals all depend on fire for survival. And part of the issue why we're having bigger ones, yes, it's we're, we're in a warming time with the climate. Um, we went through about 100 years of where we suppressed everything. So the fuel loading, the tons per acre is much greater now in many areas than it would have been in the past. In a study done um, out of the University of Reno in their fire ecology lab, they estimated that every acre in California before we started suppressing fires burned about once every 20 years. So that meant, you know, some places would burn every five years, other places would burn every 40 years, but um, they, California would burn. So it's meant to burn and that's how our ecosystems evolved is burning. And now that we've been suppressing with the warm weather and the winds, it's time to burn. We always had a saying, it's not if it's going to burn, it's when it's going to burn. And since we can do a great job at suppressing such smaller fires, when does it burn? It's when we have the severe conditions, when we have the Santa Ana winds blowing or the north winds blowing and combine that with um, a lightning storm or a man-caused fire, we, we have a lot of issues. So it's natural for us to have these fires? Absolutely. What are the impacts of this? Does it supposed to, is it supposed to burn like 
all the way? How, how does it work? Well, back in the day before uh, we suppress fires, you know, I go back to what John Muir wrote when he was going through California. He says he loved the California forest because you could ride a horse through them, and which meant that they were clear, there wasn't much debris. So if you had a fire that was a low-intensity fire like we try to do with prescribed burning right now, and it goes through and burns up all the litter, the ground litter, and maybe a few places here and there where it'll get up in the trees and burn the trees, but that was good for the forest and it kept it clear but we've spent years of allowing the forest just to grow and grow and grow and suppressing all the fires. So our fuel loading is uh, tremendously higher than it was in the past. And that just leads to when it does burn because when, you, when the fuels are there or the, the bushes or the brush, um, a certain percentage of it becomes dead fuel. You know, you look at your plants around your house. As your rose bushes grow up, parts die and stuff. Well, if that dead stuff is left hanging on the tree or the bush, then that's just like kindling for the fire to take it really quick. And that's what aids or adds to how fast it'll burn. And you put a little wind behind that and it goes. Where if it burns more often, you won't have that as much of that dead fuel inside the live fuel. So. so the fires we had in the past, based on what you're saying, is actually wouldn't really kill the trees, essentially. Um, not as much as they n are right now. But you figure before uh, we start suppressing fires, between two to three million acres burned every year in California. And mm -hmm. how much is it burning now? Well, um, we're back up to about two million a year, one to two million a year now. But in the uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, a large fire was a 10,000 acre fire. And some of those years we burned 115,000, 200,000, 300,000. A big year was 500,000 acres. So we've really kind of just pushed back um, when it's going to burn. And when it was burning, it looked like it would be a different kind of fire, right? Right. It wouldn't take the trees with them. It would right. Be it would be much more lower intense, uh, intensity fire. And I'm sure there were fires, and you can read some of the old literature and folklore about fires that would burn all summer long. But, it, you know, and we see that in the backcountry nowadays with the federal government and their, their let burn in some of the backcountry that once the intense fire behavior or the winds die down, they just get a, a slow creeping moving fire, cleans up the forest really nice and is quite good for the environment. Now, our approach to these fires and actually uh, preventing these, have we done much to prevent them or do anything about it? Oh, yes. Um, you know, we, we're looking at, you know, how to prevent fires. Uh, um, you know, we, we want to protect um, all our infrastructure. We want to um, protect all the buildings because that's the main thing that we need to really look at right now because the, the forest, it's good for the forest to burn. Yes, it's bad when we have an intense fire and it burns everything. Even uh, the big trees, you think it's good? Um, not all of them at one time, but it, it does get through, uh, rid of a lot of the diseased trees and the dead trees. And, you know, we don't want man-made or man-caused fires going. Um, we, we want, you know, we've have admit ignition devices that you know we we've seen cars and we've trained changed a lot of the regulations on where cars and going in the grass um, no smoking in the forest you know we we've done a lot through prevention to reduce the amount of starts so we've done that part of it right. where we are we are not we're careful about people making a fire somewhere right but what about the process and there's a lot of complaint about 
that we have a lot of fuel, as you mentioned. Is there anything we could do differently that we have? Um, I think we really need to look at using prescribed burn more and prescribed burn around uh, some of our critical infrastructures, some of our watershed, because CAL FIRE then back in the beginning, uh, CDF, they were created through legislation to protect the watershed of California. So we need to really protect our watershed so we can do that by logging, we can do that by grazing, we can do that by prescribed burning, and it has to be a combination of all those uh, to protect our forests. Logging, we've proved with uh, the CAL FIRE demonstration state forest that you can have what they call sustainable yield logging, which is you don't go in there and, and clear cut and take every tree, but you select trees so um, the total sum of trees that you take that never changes the amount of board feed available, you know, it always stays the same because you only take the newer growth or the older growth and you measure it out and you only take certain trees. And that getting in there and um, disturbing the ground causes seedlings to grow. Uh, you move all the brush into a pile and either you get rid of it or you burn it later when it's, you know, in the winter time when there's three feet of snow on the ground, you can burn the piles. You know, that doesn't help much with the carbon um, sequestration and try and reduce the carbon output, but it's, um, you know, we can do a little bit of carbon in the winter time during prescribed burning, or we can do it all at once, you know, on a, on a big fire, a major fire in the summer. Now, is the logging, uh, there's a lot of complaints that we're not doing that logging anymore, and it seems like the roads, because the loggers would maintain the roads, or the forest department would maintain the roads, and, and those roads are not maintained well anymore. Yeah, there's always logging roads and, you know, that that would be for our foresters and the logging companies and, and the, to address environmental concerns because we don't want roads everywhere into the forest because then that leads to overuse. You know, we want we want to definitely control the, the use of our forests and our lands. Um, the largest landowner in California is Sierra Pacific and they own a lot of forest up there but you know, their logging presence in California is greatly reduced because of the restrictions that's been placed on logging in California. Do you think these kind of restrictions, sometimes they hurt us? Because we have heard that to do controlled burns and to do logging, a lot of the environmental groups, they don't like that, right. they come after it. Yeah, and, and that's where we need to come to an educated consensus with everybody. What What is it we need to do? Because we need to log, I mean, you can, um, after a fire burns through a forest, you can cut and salvage the, the dead trees, but you have like two years to do that before the, the rot of the wood. But when you're talking, you know, 100,000 acres to try and even get the permits to get in there and do that can take more than two years. And they've and tried. So. Why does it take two years? Uh, environmental reviews. Um, you know, anytime you have to push so much dirt to make a new road in the forest, you have to get, uh, you know, special permits for that. So it's, it's very regulatory intensive. And I'm all for controlled and I don't want anybody running wild in the forest cutting every willy-nilly, but, but we need to come up with a formula that, that meets the needs of everybody because, you know, that's a huge industry for California was logging at one time. So do you think these laws have gone beyond uh, being reasonable to a point where they might be hurting us in the long run or? I, I think so. 
you know, I, I think there is a lot of overregulation in California, but I'm not saying, you know, we need to have control, but we need to have consensus on that control from all parties involved, and plus meeting the needs of the public and and what's best for the public, you know, because we, these big fires, we have to do everything we can to protect ourselves and our towns, and because th that's, that's the biggest waste on all the fires is the uh, destruction of our towns, our people, and our watershed. Because once the trees are gone, then um, it, it washes away the topsoil and we have to get regrowth. But, you know, but we don't want overgrowth either because a mature or a pine tree uses about 150 gallons or about 10 gallons a day per uh, inch in diameter. So some of the bigger trees are using 150 to 200 gallons a day where that's sucking the water out of the ground. When you go from 60 trees per acre to maybe 200 trees per acre, you're looking at thousands of gallons or more that the trees are pulling out of the ground instead of having it stored there. So that's, you know, that adds to our drought and our water so shortages is because our forests are overgrown. So if we have a more dense forest, it's It takes a lot more water and pulls the water out of the ground and, and doesn't hold as much for when we need it in the summer times. Interesting. Now, we have been told that we are spending a lot of efforts on f the firefighting part, but we are spending a lot of funds on that. Yes. But we are not doing the controlled burns, and we're not doing the logging, and, and that's kind of, it's, it's kind of the way we s allocate our funds are more when the disaster happens and we don't prevent much. Right. It w um, they are just now, and they have been for the last several years, really looking at the prevention part, at more funding for prescribed burn, more funding for other um, methods to clear and protect the forest. But that is definitely takes a backseat to the fire control that we're doing right now because we, we want to prevent people's houses or businesses from burning down. And, and that's kind of taken the lion's share and they've done an excellent job in really um, increasing the funding available for CAL FIRE and for the local governments in California and the federal governments to prevent or to suppress fires because they are proportionally need more because of the size of the fires this year. But yes, we need more, more direction on what we can do to stop that. Prescribed burns, fuels treatment, you know, cutting fire breaks. Um, it, it's, it's growing, but probably not at a fast enough rate compared to the dangers of the fires out there. We've also been told that it's not very visible when you do those kind of prevention work. Well, yeah. And you don't get a lot of press for it. Yeah. And it's hard to sell that. Yeah, it, it's, and, and that's I, it's true with anything. If you, prevention is not glamorous. You know, uh, the hero stopping the fire is glamorous. Going out there and cutting a fuel break is very labor intensive and not very glamorous at all. But, but you know, and it's hard to say, okay, why was this town saved? It was, well, because we built a massive fuel break around it and we were able to stop the fire or treat the, the our surrounding to keep the fire from coming to the town and push it down another gully or another direction. Now, what do those towns can do? If you're living in a town that is like in the rural, rural area, you're close to the, to the forestry, and wh what can you do? Um, they, they have the, the resources available through CAL FIRE to, pr uh, to build fire plans, uh, fire, prescribed fire plans, to actually go out there and see what needs to be done, where the risk areas are at, 
in the town or the area, what they could do to, to probably pre-treat the area, which, you know, remove fuel or cut a fire break or tell people to move. You know, it's just, um, you, you, there can be effective, you know, just kind of anecdotal, but on the, the large fires that were burned through Napa several years ago, I have a brother and sister-in-law that have a, a house up there and they bought it and they said, hey, Kevin, can you come and tell us what we need to do to our house? Uh, because we're worried about fires up here. And I went there and I went through with the, uh, the groundskeeper and I go, you need to do this, you need to do this. We clear this back to the property. And um, they only lost one of their uh, buildings when the fire burned right through their property at, with 70 mile an hour winds. And I, mostly it was caused or benefited because of the pretreatment that was done on the vegetation around their house, the type of um, vegetation that I told them they need to get rid of or that they were allowed, they can keep near the house. And the person that originally built the house used great materials and construction that was fairly fire hardened on that area, on the main house and several of the other houses. There. So there are things you can do. In the oh, absolutely. Control. You know, what probably the biggest um, thing that you can do is when you're building in the wildland areas, actually look where you're building. You know, don't build in a canyon, don't build um, in a gully, um, don't build mid-slope if, if you can help it, because those are all very, very hard to protect when the fire is racing up toward you down below or racing toward you. Is there any recommendations for the prescribed burning? How would, it, how would you do that? Prescribed burning needs to be in areas that actually eliminate a threat. You know, we need to look at that, the infrastructure or the resources we want to protect and then how a prescribed burn in that area would protect them. Because we don't want to burn and put carbon in the air just to burn and put carbon in the air. We want to have a goal in mind to reduce the fuel load so it would eliminate or really reduce the threat of a fire going through that area and threatening a town or a city or some type of infrastructure that we have there that we want to protect. So is that possible uh, because, because... Oh, absolutely. But do you think people, uh, so is, is the fire department actively looking at areas and saying, okay, these are the areas that are risky, we should clean? Yes, clean. yes, they are looking at that. Because you, we have a great fire history um, since about 1900 and it's all available online and you can actually uh, lay the layers of fires over uh, from the past over areas and see where the fires are gonna burn. And it was kind of fascinating sitting with um, some of the people really knowledgeable in this say, okay, a fire burned here in 1940 and there was another one in 1980, what was the difference? And it might be a 30,000 acre fire and there may be 4,000 4, acres difference in the size because it's gonna burn very similar in all those areas. And you, you can use that to predict where you need to do your prescribed burning to reduce that. How difficult is it to per get the permits and do these prescribed burns? It, it's not difficult in the sense that um, the, the regulations are really that hard. It's just uh, um, writing the prescription, where you're going to burn, how much you're going to burn, what if it goes beyond this and make sure it's protection and what the weather's going to be like, getting permission from all the landowners. See where if it's a, if it's a prescribed burn on federal land, that's much easier because you have one 
one group of ownership and, and it's the federal government and they work under stewardship and they need to protect that land. But if it's a Cal Fire burn and you might have five or six different landowners, then you have to get cost sharing between those landowners because if, if it's a cattle rancher and they're benefiting from the burn, we're burning up all the big brush and that will allow grasslands to come in and protect and, and help benefit them, then there's got to be a cost share with that it's usually not much and it's not usually a showstopper but and just getting the permission if you have a small bunch of acreage in the middle and somebody goes well I don't want my property burned then that that really requires some negotiation to get that in there and that does hold up a lot of burns so this is this seems like there might be some gridlock in this process yes there is yeah, it's never just we're going to do this and go out there next week and do it. it some some of the bigger control burns uh, have taken years in planning to do that. Do you think we have to change that or do you think it's it's necessary to do that much planning? Oh, it's definitely necessary to do that much planning, but it shouldn't take so long and we need to if more people understood the benefit and what we're trying to do in the long run, I think it would go. So it's it's part of an education. It's um, part of understanding, you know, the end goal. It's um, there, you know, I haven't worked on that side of it in a long, long time, so I don't really know what all the regulations are right now, but it is, it is time consuming. In terms of education, you mean people need to understand that fires are not bad for the nature, yes, especially yes. the ones you mentioned that yes. they're not burning the big yes. trees. Yeah, you know, I, when I hear on the news, you know, the fire went through and destroyed all this, you know, I tend to look, well, but what did it clean up? What is the benefit of the fire going through the area? You know, we're going to look at all the new growth. Because you go back several years to when they had all those massive fires in Yellowstone in the, I think it was the early 80s, late 70s. And they said, oh, it's going to destroy Yellowstone. But what they found out is fires burned in a mosaic pattern. There was no pattern to how, you know, it burned up this uh, bunch of trees over here, but it didn't burn over here. And all the new growth and wildlife and all the plants that came back because it burned, it started a lot of people thinking, well, maybe fire isn't that bad. Maybe, you know, because it is part of the natural ecosystem out there and we need it. So we should trust the nature more. Yes, we need to work in tune with the nature. You know, the, the native Californians, the native Americans that were here, they used fires for centuries to clear fields and, and make room for what they needed to do before we even started thinking about it, so. When people look at these fires, we're kind of, people, it's devastating, it's big fires. Yes. And people are always look at, a lot of people are saying this is because of climate change and we can't do anything about it. Is that true? I do not believe that's true. I do believe that the climate is changing, that we are having warmer. I mean, it's, it, you look at the records, we are, have we been there before with the, the warm and dry um, in our history? I'm sure we have, because we've only been keeping records for about 200 years out of you know millions of years that uh, California's been here. Uh, but what we need to do is we just need to adapt our suppression methods, our protection methods, our pre, um, our fire prevention methods to match what's going on in the fire environment right now. So maybe we need to look at creating greater clearances around our our structures. Um, you know, maybe we need to put more power lines underground. There, we need to look at more water storage. There, there's many things we can do. So it's not hopeless. 
because we're very in, we have a lot of ingenuity as people and I think we can overcome this. It's just, we need to get down and really not blame it on one thing or one another, just what do we need to do to protect ourselves and our people? Do you think we have become like that based on what you're seeing in, in the way we treat these fires and other, other issues? Do you think we've become more like we hear an excuse, we have an excuse and we don't take action? anymore as much as we used to do 20 30 years ago we might might have been more action oriented yeah i think we're more action oriented because we're you know we're such a, a society right now where people are afraid to make a decision at times well i can't do that because i haven't been told to do that or i can't do that because i need to get all the clearances and stuff but you know we need to ask more questions and and uh you know one of my favorite things is why not okay can we, we need clear hair. Well, we can't do that. Well, why not? You know, we need, we need to find out what we can do and pursue that. And not everybody's going to agree with everything, but we all agree that we uh, must look at this and, and uh, tackle this problem together. And do you think the politicians in Sacramento, do you think they have a good handle of, of what's going on with these fires? Or do they have a good line of communication to the people that are on the ground? You know, I think that's more individual because some of the politicians that I worked with when I was uh, working out of Sacramento were great, very supportive. Um, you know, I, I think that the turnover in the legislature has kind of hurt some of the standard programs because it, when you get a new legislative session in, you we started where we had to re-educate or educate all the newcomers in there to what the mission is, what we're doing, how we're going. Um, but it was while I was in Sacramento, I did see the budget um, grow from about a billion dollars a year. Now it's up over two billion a year, which needed to happen. You know, um, certain programs are more expensive. Like the the amount of inmates that are available to to fill our camps and run our crews is much less than it was uh, 15 to 20 years ago because of the early paroles and the changing in sentencing. So that's necessitated where we have um, what we call free crews or firefighter one hand crews hand that we've put together for fighting fires. And that seems to be working quite well. You know, we've looked at other avenues like uh, the California Conservation Corps. We now have a lot more uh, three C's crews out there as fire crews and helping. And, and you know, one of the adages we came up with the camp program, there's no such thing as a bad crew, just a bad leader, so. Hmm. <laughs> now, in, in terms of the budget, the two billion you mentioned, how much of it is going to prevention? How much of it is going to suppression? Is this all for suppression? Or? No, it's, it's the total CAL FIRE budget. And I haven't really looked at those numbers in the last couple of years, but it, it's probably closer to 70 to 80% is going to suppression. What about the firefighters? What's the attitude when there's a big fire somewhere? Oh, everybody in wants in to Northern go. Or Southern, how does it? Everybody wants to go. You know, I, I don't know of any firefighter that goes, oh, there's a big fire there. I don't want to go there. You know, it's, um, we, we want to go out there and make a difference and put out the fire if we can. So the mindset is like, you just got to get to the, yeah. to the fire and make it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't it's matter if it's your, your city or your county. No, we'll, we'll go anywhere and, and put out the fire, you know, which is, you know, when we're told to.
And that's the hardest part because you hear a big fire, you know, you're in Central California, you hear something big going down south. It's like, you're, hey, when are we going to go? When are we going to go? Who's, who's up to go out of county from this unit? You know, which engines are next in line to go? We, everybody wants to know that. Now, for young people, if young people want to get into this profession, would you encourage them to get into Oh, this? absolutely. And why? Uh, because it's exciting. Um, you, you, know, you, know, you take good care of your family. Uh, you have camaraderie with the people you work with. Some of my best friends in the world are still people I worked with over the years, and I talk to some of them almost daily, even though I'm retired. Um, if you're interested in becoming a firefighter, seek out the community colleges. They have most every community or many of the community colleges have great firefighter programs. Um, look at, uh, go to the um, California Professional Firefighters website and find out organizations around there that will let you do ride-alongs, that will, you know, there's um, Explorer Post programs, there's um, mentor programs available through the fire agency. And it, it's just not a man's world, it's a woman's world. I, I started in the firefighting uh, business in 1980, was my first season as a seasonal firefighter. And there has been women in the fire station since the very first day I started. and we would be missing something if we didn't have a big diverse program. It's, um, you know, everybody brings something to the table and it's, it's great and it's a lot of, lot of fun. A lot of work. You gotta, you're gonna sweat, you're gonna get tired, you might go days without showers and you can see some horrific things and you have to be strong, but that's where your friends and, and everything come in to help you out. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? The fires are gonna happen, be prepared, you know. Uh, seek help, seek out um, the professionals to come out and look at your property, do property surveys, see what you can do to prevent, you know, protect yourself from fires. Have uh, a strategy or plan if you do start to get overran by fires, you know, you, because uh, chance always favors those who are prepared. Kevin Olson, retired staff chief with CAL FIRE. It was great to have you on California Insider. Oh, thank you very much.